Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope you are really blessed by hearing it. My name is Ron Cross. I'm the vicar here at St. Saviour's. Uh, welcome to those of you that are listening to this online. We're just going to watch a movie clip from uh, Wall Street back in the 80s. Greed is good. Greed is good. Uh, as I say, that's from Wall Street back in uh, 1987. I was, I was about 15 at the time. Um, those of you who uh, can remember when they were 15, uh, I was quite impressionable. Um, I think my mum, I look at my mum at this point, I always think, I wonder what she thinks I'm going to drop her in it or something. But at the age of 15, don't worry mum, don't even mention you in this one. I was quite impressionable. Uh, and I can tell you that if the words from that speech, along with posters of Baywatch, were not plastered on the bedroom walls of aspiring young men, they were plastered across the walls of their mind. Greed is good. Greed is good. It was believed that the desire for more and more and more would help you to be successful. The more you got, the more you achieved, the more you obtained, the more you had, would help you to be successful in life, successful in business. To be a success, you had to have more. And uh, back in the 80s, I was one of those people who believed that. I wanted more stuff. I wanted more money. I wanted more possessions. I wanted more power. I, I wanted more. Uh, I wanted more of what I had. And more importantly, I wanted more of what I didn't have, of what other people had. I wanted it all. I remember watching that movie, seeing Gordon Gecko walk along the beach with this great big Motorola phone. It was the size of a brick. Some of you still have them, I know, it's fine. But thinking, I want that. My desire is to have that. If I can have that, I'll have got something really important. And even though the 80s, well, they've, they've been and gone, and they were a decade of greed, there's still people today that want more and more. And while we might not overtly say greed is good, we do believe that the desire for more is okay. It's right. It's, it's proper. A desire for the things you don't have as well as a desire for more of the things you do have. It's not that bad. The desire for more, more of the stuff, more of the things, more of the power, more of the uh, success will help you to get ahead in this life. People believe that it will be in the things that they find their joy. And when you see the things other people have, you feel like you're lacking in the joy. And if only you had what they had, then you would have some of the joy. Because you see, the grass appears greener on the other side of the fence. I'm going to be doing a lot of drinking for this. I must make a note in my journal not to eat salt and vinegar spirals fairly large packet the day before I preach. My lips are very dry. Um, however long you take agonizing over a menu when you're choosing your dessert, when the person next to you or opposite you, their dessert comes along, you always wish you had chosen what they had. God made us a little lower than the angels, but most of us are concerned to climb a little higher than the Joneses. Just when we think we're going to make ends meet, someone moves the ends. 
However much we earn, we're always saying, I don't know where it all goes. Most of us can't resist a sale. Look how much money I'm saving. We think if we don't buy it now, it'll cost me more later. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. People can be divided into three groups, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid for what I have. And people live in one of two tents. Content or discontent. See, there's a real big problem. It's huge. It's massive. covers many of our other problems. And it's our desire to covet So this morning we begin, uh, strange enough, 10 weeks on the Ten Commandments of God as we unpack what it means to live within these uh, commands. And uh, we're going to read them together from Exodus 20. Uh, And even though they're 10, some people treat it a bit like an exam and we'll try five, but there are 10 of them and we should be trying them all. So here we go. Let's say together. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall work, labor, and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I've got some slides with some scriptures that are going to come up. If you've got your Bible with you, please do um, take it out. If it's on your phone, feel free to uh, flip through it. So that's Exodus 21 to 17, and we're going to be going through a few other passages of scripture as well. So if you want to take notes, that's cool. Uh, The word covet, it's not a word that we tend to use. We know that it's included in the Old Testament in these passages. We don't tend to use it very much these days. Um, But it it basically means to to want to have something very much, especially something that belongs to someone else. And a a bit like um, a a big packet of salt and vinegar spirals, it's it's like seawater. 
the more, the more you drink, the thirstier you become. The more you have, the more you want. And today, the word covet, we could translate as meaning materialism. Materialism, perhaps you're more comfortable with that particular word. And where, I ask you, would advertisers be without our need to covet? Where would they be? You can covet what someone else has because by obtaining it, you believe that you have more joy. And I want to put it to you right now that that is a lie. That's why this commandment exists, so that we will see coveting for what it is. It's a lie. And we can move away from this lie and into the abundance of life that God has purposed for you and wants to give you. You know, for many of us as Christians, we, we know that by obtaining stuff, it won't bring us joy. We know that in our, in our heads. But sometimes we have difficulty to live it out, me included. Sometimes we have difficulty perhaps even believing it this morning. And the, the problem is, this attitude that we have towards gaining more and more, this attitude towards materialism, that it's, it's a good thing, it's right, it's purposeful, it causes problems in our lives. It will cause a whole bunch of problems in your life. So here are a few of those problems that I thought about that I could sum up for you. Materialism can cause you worry. Here's a passage from Luke 12. And we often say, as we're reading through Scripture at the moment as a church in the Old Testament, we say, I just want to get away from this God who just seems so alien to me. And I want to move more towards this God, Jesus, who seems so much more compassionate and loving. And Jesus says this, if that's you, then listen to words of Jesus. Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. When we focus on the things, we start to worry about them. We worry about not having enough, and we worry about keeping the stuff that we actually already have. And the number one for concern, the number one worry for most people, and I'm assuming you, know, you guys are fairly representative of the nation, that the, the major worry is finance. The major worry is your lack of finance. That's it. That's the, our problem. We just don't have enough. You're short of money. A photographer asked the son to place his hand on his father's shoulder, and the father said it would be more realistic if you put his hand in my pocket. How many of you as parents can recognize that? So, materialism can cause worry. It can also cause us weariness. Proverbs 23, 4. Don't weary yourself trying to make yourself rich. This guy wrote this uh, 3,000 years ago. Don't weary yourself trying to make yourself rich. Why waste your time? 3,000 years of wisdom and we're still in this place. In this frantic rush to get ahead, we get tired. I remember this thing called a rat race. I kind of joined it for a while until God brought me up short, reminded me what life was all about. I was running in this rat race. I was never going to win. Only one person gets to win. Only one person can be the richest person in the world. Only one person can have the most expensive car in the world. Only one person can have the biggest house in the world. I was running this rat race, and I suddenly dropped out, and I thought, but I'm still a rat. I haven't won, and yet that still makes me a rat. I don't want to be a rat. Materialism will cause weariness. 
It will also cause you gloom, sadness. Here's 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. Some people craving money have pierced themselves with many sorrows. 2,000 years old, that piece. If you cannot have everything, make the best of everything you have. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says this, I have learned to be content. And this is what we're thinking about today. How do you find true contentment? How do you live in the tent of content rather than the tent of discontent? How do you find true contentment? Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. If you know anything about Paul's story, um, he had some pretty tricky circumstances that he faced. I know what it is to be in need, he says. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, because, he tells us why, because I can do all things. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Paul trusts the Lord. He trusts God. He trusts his provision. He trusts that he will be his provider, that there will be enough daily bread for him, that he doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. He's learned that by being in relationship with God, by walking with him, by sitting at his feet, by leaning against him, feeling his heartbeat. So there's all the problems that we face. And mine... It's just a lack of water. So, question for you. Are you content? Are you content? Ron, don't walk in front of the signer. Sorry. Are you content? Well, I heard one of you say yes, which must mean the other 99 would like some help in finding true contentment. And I'm assuming you're here because actually you believe that as we gather together and worship together and as we read the scriptures, that God is going to show you something about your life that you can make different, that you can uh, improve upon, if you like. And I think this morning he wants to bring contentment to you, to many of you. He wants to release you from the chains and the shackles that this world has thrown upon you, that you are bound by discontentment at the moment. And I believe that he wants to set people free. So here are some things that I was thinking about that you could do, and I'm sure you can add to these. Point number one, be grateful for what you already have. True religion with contentment is great wealth. After all, we didn't bring anything with us when we came into the world. We certainly cannot carry anything with us when we die. So if we have enough food and clothing, it says in 1 Timothy... Let us be content. We get into this roadblock thinking when and then. When I get a promotion, then I'll be happy. When I get a bigger house, then I'll be happy. When I get the extension done, then I'll be happy. When we get the kids into that school, then I'll be happy. When and then will never make you happy. If you have food in your fridge, if you have clothes on your back which... Thank the Lord, you all do. If you, it's not that kind of church, people, all right? We're open, but we're not that open. If you have a roof over your head, if you have a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world right now. 
billions of people. You are wealthier than them. If you have some money in the bank, if you've got some money in your wallet, money in your purse, you've got some spare change in a dish somewhere like my gran used to have, then you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, the pangs of starvation, you're more fortunate than 500 million people in the world right now. Count your blessings. Have an attitude of gratitude. Be thankful for what you have, not for what you don't have. A man asked God how long a million years was to him. God replied, a million years to me is just like a single second in your time. The man asked God what a million pounds was to him. God replied, a million pounds to me is just like a single penny to you. The man asked God, could I have one of your pennies? God smiled and replied, certainly, just a second. (laughs) True contentment is found not in having everything you want, but in not wanting to have everything. Second point, focus on people, not possessions. Very kindly, four or five people came to me in the break to, to say it was a good sermon. So halfway through, I'm hoping you agree with them. Um, if not, you're free to leave. Uh, a greedy person brings trouble to their family. Proverbs 15, 27. In our race for riches, our marriages can break apart. Our children can become distant relatives. The best thing, the best thing that parents can give their children is time. The best investment you can make in your children is time. Sometimes we're so anxious to give our children what we didn't have, we forget to give them what what we do have. Focus on people, not possessions. Uh, Point number three, I think, uh, is look beyond what is temporary. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 18. You know, in other words, live your life in the light of eternity. Jesus said, how will you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul, Mark 8? We need to realize that there's a whole lot more going on than just what we see here. And see this bit of my rope here, this bit of tape, this is symbolic of my life. And um, I guess where my fingers are right now is when I was born into the world. I think it was about 47 years ago, and I have to be remembered, reminded. Um, my dad passed away around about 50. Um, so I, I, I could be at the end very soon of my life here um, on earth. Wherever you are, somewhere along this, uh, maybe you're halfway through. I'm looking at a lot of you. I'm going to suggest a lot of us are looking towards the end. We've moved over that hill. Um, and we focus... We focus so much on this tiny little portion of what we see, of what is temporary. And we forget about the whole of eternity, 
the whole of heaven, the whole of being with Jesus, the whole of being with God the Father, the whole of being with the Holy Spirit, everything else that is unseen, that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Our life on earth is just a blip. Blink and you'll miss it. It's temporary. There's this wonderful uh, article from Steve Jobs. I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world. In other eyes, my life is an epitome of success as the guy who founded Apple. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life I am accustomed to. At this moment... Lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. In the darkness, I look at the green lights from the life support machines and hear the humming mechanical sounds. I can feel the breath of God of death drawing closer. Now I know when we have accumulated sufficient wealth to last our lifetime, we should pursue other matters that are unrelated to wealth should be something that is more important, perhaps relationships, perhaps a dream from younger days. Non-stop pursuing of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. God gives us the senses to let us feel the love in everyone's heart, not the illusions brought about by wealth. The wealth I have won in my life I cannot bring with me. What I can bring is only the memories precipitated by love. That's the true riches which will follow you, accompany you, giving you strength and light to go on. Love can travel a thousand miles. Life has no limit. What is the most expensive bed in the world? The sick bed. You can employ someone to drive the car for you, make money for you, but you cannot have someone to bear the sickness for you. Material things lost can be found, but there is one thing that can be never, never be found when it is lost. Life. Treasure love for your family, love for your spouse, love for your friends. Treat yourself well, cherish others. There's a guy who had it all. We are not in the land of the living, going to the land of the dying. We are in the land of the dying, heading towards the land of the living. Remember that. Number four, perhaps, and the final one for you, the final challenge, is to be a giver. Jesus talked more than anything about money because it's been around for thousands of years and it's been worrying us and wearying us and causing us gloom. And so he wants to bring us freedom. So he talks a lot about money and um, he sees it as a cure for covetousness. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. C.S. Lewis said, I'm afraid biblical charity is more than merely giving away that which we cannot afford to do without anyway. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Be generous in your giving. There you go. Ron's it's like peanuts guide to philosophy on life. Can you translate that? No. Okay. Don't think so. Apologies. Apologies. Our printer broke this week, and so I haven't been able to get copies for you, Rachel. So I started by saying, the grass is greener on the other side. It's a phrase that you probably will have heard before. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence. But Jesus wants to tell you right now that the grass is greener when you water it. (laughs) 
Somebody can tweet that if you like. The grass is greener when you water it. My friends, my family. Stop looking at what other people have. Start watering what you have. Cultivate your relationship with God. Grow your relationship with God. Sow seeds of relationship with other people. Love your neighbor. Let's, um, let's just pray together. For more information, please go to www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.